Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Born to Succeed podcast, the number one podcast on the planet for helping you succeed on both a personal and professional level, where every podcast we bring you motivation, inspiration, faith, hope, and love, and we remind you that you are born to succeed. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Born to Succeed podcast, the number one podcast on the planet for helping you succeed on both a personal and professional level. I am your gracious host, Michael Merritt, and I have my amazing wife, Elisa Merritt, with me today. We have a special guest on with us today, guys. Miss Elisa, how are you doing? I'm good. Thank you. Good. It's good I'm to have to you on the show with us today, huh? So we have a special guest today, guys, and his name is Trevor Brooks, and Trevor He's an author. He's an editor. I mean, this guy, he's got a very interesting story, and I just can't wait to hear about him and share his value with you guys out there and are listening today. So without further ado, Mr. Trevor Brooks, welcome to the show. How are you doing, sir? Hello. Good afternoon. I'm great. Um, hanging out here. In good, Nashville. good. And everything's great. Y'all doing well? I am. That's what I was just about to ask you. Where are you at? So you're in Nashville, Tennessee? I am. I live uh, downtown Nashville. Been here about 10 years. Very, very good. All right. How's the weather over there today? Hot. <laughs> Hot <laughs> and humid. It's really the humidity, though, I guess. Being from Texas, yeah. I kind of like the heat, but yeah, um, humidity will creep up on you. Yeah, and it, I was gonna say you were born in a small town of Waxahachie, Texas, and is that where you grew up until you went to Nashville? Yes, ma'am. Uh, I was in Waxahachie until uh, graduated high school, 2010. I was 17, and uh, yeah, all my life I'd been in Waxahachie. Didn't really get out a whole lot, honestly. When I went to Lubbock for school for the first two years, there's a chicken express and until I went to college I thought that was a Waxahachie thing so (laughs) pretty small town small-minded I guess but um, yeah born and raised Waxahachie and then went to Lubbock for two years and now Nashville. And so you went to Nashville to start a music career or you wrote some songs or how did that all get how did you start out in Nashville? Um, That's a good question I'm still trying to answer that but uh (laughs) I, uh, I came here for music uh, originally, and uh, I knew that it would uh, please the family if I continued college, because uh, I, I had just finished two years at Texas Tech University in uh, 2012, and I wanted to come to Nashville, and Belmont is a, Belmont University is pretty well known for music industry um, connections and, and studies. Mm-hmm. Um, so I uh, went to school at Belmont, graduated, and been writing music and playing shows, um, you know, from 2012 to maybe 19 or so. That's great. Okay. So so tell us a little bit about yourself, Trevor. So you grew up in Waxahachie. You went off to Texas Tech. What what all what else has happened in your life? Obviously. You got off to Nashville, and, and you got a degree there in music. What what else has been going on in your life that led you up to where you are today? Um, 
I've always been a writer of sorts, uh, more of the creative type, I should say. I've always been a creative type. Uh-huh. Um, uh, creative early bird. Um, so I wake up super early, but uh, I do, I've always enjoyed the writing aspect of creativity. So even when I was songwriting, um, I didn't, I learned some, a few instruments and really did not enjoy that at all, actually. Um, I liked just kind of putting the lyrics down. Um, but up here in Nashville, it's pretty great because everyone likes to co-write. So you write with, you know, a couple friends or, you know, other writers. Um, and it was great. I was really good at, uh, at what I liked um, in that world, which was the actual songwriting part. Um, did that for several years after I graduated. Um, worked in the industry for just a little bit, doing some publicity work, uh, which I guess is more so kind of how I had my hand in the writing side. Um, but I worked at Warner Music um, for just about a year, actually. Uh, I was through a Belmont program, so uh, it was really cool. I got to work on uh, Blake Shelton's uh, publicity team and um, Cheryl Crow, Dennis Shea, a lot of these bigger names That's uh, awesome. that are uh, now. But it was really yeah. cool kind of seeing behind the scenes and um, all the writing side, you know, because there's a lot of writing that uh, those teams do to promote the artists and I uh, did that for a little bit and then uh, kind of just made way for my own uh, writing. Actually, when COVID happened, I lost my job. Um, so I was jobless for about four months and, uh, you know, everyone was inside. So I got bored and thought of, you know, hey, let's write a book. So I wrote a book. Yeah. So, yeah, so you uh, kind of changed directions. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure. There, or there was particular moment or thing that took me away from songwriting um i did really enjoy it and i made some great music with some met some great friends um that time but i just kind of and didn't really have any support anymore so uh, it's nice about that whole isolation is that you are forced to be creative in a way and i kind of stumbled upon this and um fell in love with it. Have, I, I love passion. Passion is the best quality in someone. And I just kind of found a passion with writing right. and books and uh, just ran with it. You know, yeah. Well, later, that's how we right. find our, that's how we find our why, right? We find the passion, the thing that we love the most. And, and then that's the thing oh, yeah. that we go after. The thing that you would do for free is the thing that you love. And, and so that's, that's awesome, man. So that's what inspired you to write your book is, is kind of being in the business and editing and writing and then, then going to the COVID thing. Um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't give all of that the credit for inspiration necessarily as yeah. much as it just uh, fed into my creative side. Um, okay. Uh, it definitely uh, kind of exercised the creativity, you know, for several years and um I always started writing music uh, when I would write a new song. Um, nine times out of 10, I started with the title. Um, I love titles because they're very captivating or, or like captivating titles, it's kind of a hook. Yeah. Um, and then I actually wrote what is now the title of my book. I actually wrote that in my song, wanting it to be a song, or I wrote it in my phone, sorry, wanting it to be a song title. And it just, that wasn't the story I wanted to tell about that was, uh, not a song so right. still kind of uh, started in the same way I used to write music but developed more into a book and got longer and longer and longer and then it got too long and then had to cut it down but um, kind of how all that worked together though 
Yeah. Okay. And we also, you know, during COVID being at home and um, kind of limited in our, in our personal business, we wrote, we wrote, um, we started writing books and anthology books with uh, multiple authors. Nice. And so we found that that's a, a great way for expression and a great way to, um, well, to meet other people and to get stories that can help other people as well as someone tells their story. Yeah. Yeah, we uh, do some collaborative effect books where we had multiple authors in one book, and it was really great projects to be involved with. That's awesome. I I actually never knew that um, was a trope. Like in the book industry, I've I've come across many books specifically nonfiction books that are, there's a co-author, right? Right. Um, multiple authors. Um, a good friend of mine up here, um, we went to church together for several years and uh, but he's a writer as well. And his mom is a pretty well-known Christian book writer. And then they kind of joined and kind of started co-authoring, co-writing some books, Yeah. Um, which I thought was so cool. That was the first time I'd ever heard of it. And um, it's really great. It was, I bet it's nice to, you know, like songwriting, when you co-write with people there, you're kind of bouncing ideas off each other. And yeah, and, it, and what it also does, it allows different audiences to see different people. Like one of the books that I am collaborative in, I it's a book of 16 authors. So you have 15 other authors besides myself. And so each author is now giving that to their audience who's now finding another person that they didn't know of before. Or even just like me, I didn't know the other authors in the book, like half of the authors. I didn't know them. And there I am looking them up and then we go and speak on stages together and meet them in person. And, and you're just inspired by their story. And you're like, wow, this was such a great project that came together. And, and Elisa, she really did a great book on her own. I was in books that other people have actually pro did on projects, but Elisa did her own project called finding diamonds. And I'll let her tell you a little bit about finding diamonds. Yeah. I think that, um, Finding Diamonds to me was uh, something that God just gave me in my heart to write a book with 11 other authors. And um, it's it's actually 12 women, including myself. And they're, each one is telling their story from tr um, tragedy to triumph. And so someone that may know me may relate to another author's story. And so that was my encouragement was to to those women was, you know, tell the story that you want that's helped you. And each one of them is a Christian writer. And so they've given encouragement of, you know, God's words or, or whatever came through them during their time of tragedies. And so oh, wow. that, that was, um, I mean, it was just exactly what I was looking for and it worked out. It was a little hard for me because I'm a little more um, shy, I guess, more than Mike. And so uh, when the, you know, when I felt like God said, write the book now, I was like, uh, are you kidding me? I, I don't think so, you know? And so when he <laughs> gave me the first name to ask and I just had to send the email right then because I would have backed out and then it would have been, you know, like it had been 27 years since he had told me to write my first book and wow. which was a, a book about my crazy family. And so I, um, I was like, well, I don't think I can write that book. I don't think it'll come across well when I write that book. So, um, when he gave me the, um, you know, the book to write with, with 11 other women and 12 being a, a great Christian number, I was like, okay, well, I'll do my best. And it took a while to get 12 women, 11 other women 
to actually mm-hmm. have the courage to um, tell their story. So a lot of the times I felt discouraged thinking, how am I going to find 12? And then, you know, it's just a process, right? So you think you've got it going and then you think you know what you're going to ride and then you kind of switch gears. And, and so it is yeah. a process. Yeah. So, so the, your book that you wrote, the first book, what's the name of that book? It's called Doppelganger. Doppelganger. Okay. So tell us why Doppelganger. So you said there, you had it and you were thinking about a song, right? Yeah. Um, and then that became so a book title instead. It did. Um, I'm thankful that it did because that word alone, too many syllables to sing well. <laughs> and, uh, um, but uh, Doppelganger, so that's, it's your lookalike. You know, right. people all the time say that like, you have your celebrity lookalike or your doppelganger. Right. Um, that's the name of the book. Uh, it's based in a fiction town of Cage County, Texas. Uh, I think like Marfa, Texas, and Lubbock, Texas. Somewhere in between there is where I put it. Uh, this story is about a mom who runs an anonymous tip line um, and discovers that her son is culpable for the latest disappearances. Um, and so she uses her tip line to one of her neighbors to keep him out of jail and uh, kind of uncovers pretty quickly um, and I love it that's great nice that's awesome so what what was your favorite part about writing that book um, waking up early and being alone I try to relate to you uh, Lisa kind of what you were saying uh, about like the, the introvert side first of all but also you know, tragedies and trying to put that in stories and whatnot. But um, I am, I've always been an early bird, but when I kind of discovered this passion of mine, uh, it's the only thing in my life ever that has woken me up at 4 a.m. every single day, um, sometimes without an alarm, because I just couldn't wait to like sit down and write this book every day. Um, And I've done that every day for two years. It'll be two years in August. I think it was August 15th was the first day that I decided to, you know, do that in the morning because at that time I had a full-time job. So I had to figure out when I had time to write. Um, yeah. And it was a lot. So I was like, all right, 4 a.m. That was my favorite time of the day. I have to have more energy at uh, the a.m. hours right then than I do any rest of the day, any time yeah. the rest of the day. Um, and that was my favorite thing, just being alone and being in like a fugue state of mind uh, thinking about the book uh it's very immersive uh, especially fiction because you're creating a world you know right. creating lifestyles and um i loved it i became very very attached to the characters um, yeah the main character is a woman but it's, it's a mother actually um which i'm obviously neither of those but <laughs> it was it was just very interesting to me to kind of put that hat on and uh, her character. She's a very protective mother. And um, a lot of her is based off of my mama. And I love that. Very inspired by my mom. So um, that's great. It was kind of, it was kind of easy to think like, what would my mom do in this situation? Or, you know, if, if, if my mom had, if I asked my mom to bury a body, would she do it? And how would she do it? Kind of a thing. It's like really <laughs> is, you know, it's and, things and that I, I was what's that? I was just gonna say, and I did know your mom back in the eighties. 
And I would say she, I think she just might. <laughs> for the love um, of her children, right? I mean, maybe not for the consequence, but for the love of her children. Uh, probably the only three people in the entire world uh, that she would do that for is me and my two brothers. And, uh, but, but she was a big inspiration to this character and really the whole story um, can't really unfurl everything, but you know, my life has a lot to do with this um, and what I grew up with and what I experienced in the small town of Waxahachie um, and just bringing that to life yeah. through the lens of other people. It actually felt cathartic and almost easier to talk about um, being that I was writing some of my own memories and some of the things that I went through through the eyes of someone else. So it was easy to kind of process that, you know, yeah. Um, yeah, very cathartic, but also like therapeutic in a way, because it made yeah. me happier than I'd ever been. Um, yeah, which which this. writing does. I mean, even with songwriting, as you know, and um, just creating a book and being able to tell your story or, um, you know, put it in through like I would have like, you know, like I was saying, like if certain books I would write, it would have to be third party. You know, it wouldn't mm -hmm. be able to be me personally or a memoir type book. So that's great that you could add it in your, you know, work through some processes through writing, even journaling. We always say, you know, journal every day and journal your thoughts and your, your ideas and, you know, your creativity. Yeah. It's a very interesting uh, concept to me, like journaling. I didn't, I didn't journal like really at all in my life. I think I found one journal. It was a, a Mickey Mouse journal that had like four entries from when I was in like second grade. Uh -huh. And uh, that's about it. But journals, you really can just kind of relinquish a lot of thoughts, right? And uh, there's been several books come out in the past few years that, you know, a big part of the book is one of the characters' journals. Mm -hmm. um, and I, uh, much of my book revolves around uh, Arson's journal. Arson is Mrs. White's son. So he's the one that um, she's protecting, right? So she finds okay. his journal and it's bad news from there. But um, it's, it's very true how much you can uh, process and the things that you can, you know, put on paper when you're journaling, right? And yes. It, uh, it's a great way to brainstorm for songwriting, for, right. you know, whatever it is, mental health. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, I mean, anytime you can't really talk to somebody, you, you need to be jotting things down. And journaling is a great way to do that because it allows you to get your feelings out and instead of bottling them all up inside. So I tell people that all the time. If you can't talk to somebody, write, get it down. Get it down on paper. Write feelings at the top of the paper and just start writing and let it out. Mm -hmm. So what does your writing process look like? I mean, what do you have to do? I mean, you said you get up early. That's a great time. I'll tell you from, you know. I can't tell you how many speakers, famous authors, motivational speakers that say four and four thirty in the morning. If you're not up pounding the pavement at that time, you're losing your brain power because that's when your brain is working magnanimously. But, you know, not everybody's like that. Some people are late and some people are early. So we know we're all different. But what does your writing process look like? Do you have to have certain rooms, certain lighting, certain drink in your hand, or do you uh, <laughs> notes everywhere, post-it notes here and there? I mean, what does it look like for you? I kind of wish I was the scatterbrained post-it notes you know, everywhere writer, because that's just kind of an aesthetic to me. It's it's very 
old school. That's kind of what I picture writers from a hundred years ago, like what their desks look like. And in my mind, it was just a mess, but I can't function that way. Right. So um, I, I can be at, uh, quite ritualistic with my morning routine uh, when it's, when it's like writing, you know, intensive. So like going through the first, the second draft, you know, it's when things are still being developed. Revision is a whole different demon, but um, writing the book, I wake up for, um, I always worship and, and pray in the morning and, and read, read Bibles for um, first portion of my day that gets me right. going. Um, and then around, or right after that, um, maybe 30, 40 minutes later, I go sit on the balcony and I, I read for one hour, whatever, not my book. I read a different book, yeah. um, probably a book that I've already read seven or eight times because, again, I'm quite ritualistic with life. Um, but uh, once I read, it kind of, it's like warming up, you know, if you're going to go play uh, sports, you like to warm up a little bit. Yeah. And it's good for you. It's good for the muscles. Um, and that's kind of my warm up is reading something that inspires me as a writer. Okay. And um, when I sit down at the computer, at that point, it's probably 5, 15, 5, 530. Um, and I usually edit whatever I wrote the day before. Uh, or at least skim through it and remind myself what was going on. And uh, then I move forward from there. But I don't outline anything. I'm what they call a pantser. So I might have an idea of what's coming, but I have no idea what is about to be written on that page until I sit down and my fingers start moving. Yeah. So. And I think sometimes, like, as a Christian, you know, it's godly inspired, right? So I know that I wrote and wrote and wrote and wrote and wrote. And then I was like, okay, this is what I'm going to write. And it I didn't have an outline or, you know, we didn't, we're not at that way either. It just comes from the heart. And what do I feel like God's telling me somebody needs to know? Yeah. And so as, as you start your day off the, in the same way, in a, in a godly way and asking for inspiration, you know, I feel like that's probably the same way you've got your story. Oh yeah. I agree um, completely with that. And also just like living, living life, people are like, where did this idea come from? And I'm like, I was just living my life. And right. it's just developed. And I mean, I mean, you guys in particular, like, I hope that you read it when it's released, but I, I do feel like you'll see um, some connections there that uh, maybe you never knew were there or um, whatnot, because there's a lot to do with my life. Yeah, um, yeah we're and... looking forward to that autographed copy, man. <laughs> I'm I'll looking forward to that autographed copy. You put it on the shelf That's and great. read it. That's great. So, so you're always been in the books. Have you always read, been a big reader? Um, yeah, I have. Uh, I remember checking out books, kindergarten, elementary. Um, but I've always been a reader, uh, pretty voracious with it. I enjoy it. It makes me happy. Um, again, it's very immersive, so it can be an escape as well, and I, I like that. Yeah. yeah, and sometimes hard to put down. You're like, okay, it's three o'clock in the morning. I've got to get up to go to work, so I've got to put this book down, right? Uh, oh yeah. Sadly, there's nothing in the world keeping me up to three a.m. And if I'm awake at three a.m., I either woke up that early, or if I if I'm awake because I never slept, and there's bigger issues. Someone needs to make sure I'm okay. Like, yes. there's not there's nothing that has the ability to keep me up that late anymore. But I do very much get lost lost in a book um you know it's it's an escape 
and uh, I enjoy it. What is your favorite book? My favorite book is Sharp Objects by Gillian Flynn. Have you okay. heard of that? I, I have not. Mike has uh, heard of it. Gillian Flynn, she's a very well-known author. She wrote Sharp Objects, Dark Places, and Gone Girl, which is what most people okay. know her for. Mm-hmm. Um, but I love that book. It was one of the first books that I read that I reread. Um, I reread books constantly. Like, and I mean eight or nine or ten times in a row. The way that people listen to music. You know, a new song comes out and you want to repeat it all day long. Right. When I find a book that for whatever reason, it just truly captivates me. Um, it's just like that. I, I, I finish the turn the last page and then I go right back to the first page and I read it again wow. and again and again. Um, but the best time to ever read a book, no matter who you are, is the second time because you know the ending. So when you read through it again, you can pick up on all the little pieces that you were never supposed to really recognize the first time. Yeah, that's um, great. And this book does that very well. It's also in a small town. I kind of mimicked the town that she created slightly uh, with what I was doing just because I was inspired by it. But it's also very similar to Watsahatchee, you know, downtown, you know, the downtown square and Uh just how old that is, you know, but people always walking around and imagine that it's just the whole city or the whole town. And that's kind of uh, the setting for that book. It's my favorite book. I read it and recommend it to everyone. Excellent. So you, so you did Doppelganger. You're, you're finishing that up now. When is that supposed to be released? Um, TBD. So right now I, okay. um, still in the revision stage, but I'm, I'm closer to the end than I've ever been. I feel like I've been saying that for a year, but, um, when I finished the first draft, I did all kinds of research in the world on writing books and everything. But the one thing that I did not research was the acceptable length for a book um, in this in like the thriller genre for a debut author. I didn't even know that was a standard, but it turns out it is. Um, but I wrote my book uh, parallel and like length and everything to a book that was 150,000 words. Um, my first draft was 163,000 words and mm-hmm. 100,000 is the max. Like when I finally got an editor and started revising, that was the first thing they said was, you're going to scare every agent and publisher away with the book of 165,000 <laughs> words. They're like, that's all they'll see in your, in the entire pitch. All they're going to see is 165,000 words and they're going to delete the email. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was very difficult. So I spent the past year turning 165,000 words into 100. Wow. And finally did that earlier this, or actually in June. Uh, June 14th was my deadline. So I sent that back to um, Samantha, who is a book coach and editor that I've been working with. And I would say maybe two months, and then I start, start trying to pitch it again. But once it's bought, it's usually a year or two of promotions and stuff before books are released so now is she in nashville uh, samantha samantha's actually in oh god i'm gonna get this wrong she's either in switzerland or sweden okay and i'm sorry that i can never remember which one but uh she uh she's native to the states but moved over there i think maybe for family 
um, you know, situation. But um, one of the smartest and just like wisest uh, people in this industry, or really in general that I've ever met, uh, we connect super well. And honestly, I, I, I could dedicate, you know, part of this book to her for how much she's helped me wow. you know, complete it and the benefit that she's been in my life. And are there right. certain publishing companies that you're looking to get it through or you're just going to throw it out there to everybody or what, what's going to happen at that point? Um, I have my dream publishers, you know, like the big five, like uh, Simon and & Schuster and, and Harper and Collins and whatnot, but um, that's definitely like dream publishers. Uh, I do have tiers and whatnot. I've done a lot of research. So, uh, of course, I'd prefer the handful that are at the top over the ones at the bottom, but um, there will come a time maybe when I have to just take what I'm offered. You yeah. Know? And um, thankfully, I do, uh, as being a, like a, a writing coach and editor, that's part of what I do is research agencies and uh, like for a writer that's ready to pitch. Um, I actually do a, t a lot of research to help them find the best agents that work in their genre or maybe they've they've uh, sold books of similar nature, right? So I do that for my book as well. So I'm only pitching to agencies that I would want to work with anyway. Right. And um, so it's, it's nice already weeding out the ones that I would, you know, say no to. Nice. Good, good. And, and so um, have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? Uh, I have actually um, kind of in the past six months i've been in this uh, certification uh for the writing coach and book coaching and and the editing side and there's just there's i have a lot of passion in for this industry for a lot of different sides of this industry um so i got this idea to start a podcast um, and each episode i would go through a different book that is a bestseller or um, maybe just a popular uh, widespread phenomenon, right? Yeah. Um, but I want to go through the book and kind of explain from a writer's and an editor's standpoint why this book was the success that, like, why did it have that success? And you can actually break it down into uh, just how the book was written and uh, the style of writing and the way things are presented. And it gets very analytical for me, but I love that because I pay attention to that. And as a writer, my goal is to write the book so that when you read it for the second time, like I said before, you're going to realize uh, where you could have kind of pieced everything together, you know? And yeah, um, I just, I have this vision of being like leading more of a writer's and a reader's uh, podcast to just dive through and dissect different books and talk about it from an editor's side on why it was, um, written certain ways or how that led to its success. Well, yeah, that's great. Definitely unique, right? Right, right. Good, good. Cool. We'll have to it's, team up someday. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I was like, okay, he edits and I better get my book written, uh, completed and then I'll just send it over. Cause, um, you know, you do have to, I mean, we have worked with some people overseas on some of our projects and, nice. um, but, you know, you have to, you know, develop that r rapport and then um, hope it's what you expect because you don't really know who you're talking to or what you're actually getting from them. And 
and then you, you have good and bad things that come out of it. And then you meet somebody else and it works better for you. So it's good to know someone that you, that can edit and that that's had the experience to, to be able to get that done. Oh yeah. Um, that's another like energy level of mine is the editing side. It's, it's a, almost a different brain. So, like side of the brain, mm -hmm. um, even though it's not, but I do. It's so much fun. It's like a puzzle. And right. we're definitely, kinda... definitely going to have more books coming out. So we definitely will probably be reaching out to you. Um, we put a little book together called Mindset, the Self-Esteem Struggle. Elise and I did earlier this year, just a little 30-something page book that we literally just threw together in a half second, um, other than our two other collaborations. But we are going to write a book called Born to Succeed, which is titled off of this podcast. And then future plans from that is to make a program from that as well that we can sell nice. where we, you know, the, where we video every section of the book. So the Born to Succeed book, we haven't thrown it out there. We started the podcast January 2020, but we haven't just thrown this book out there because we want when it slams and hits to be like really jaw dropping. And then also for us to be able to create a program off of it. So probably be reaching out to you we've we've put a lot of work and time into putting things together but haven't really packaged it together as far as like we right. want it yet but, but we definitely have that on the on the burner for the future and then elise has got some other stuff as well um uh, not to go into too much into some ideas that she has but she definitely has numerous ideas on some other books and projects ahead of her as well um, so we definitely probably be reaching out to you, man, because editing is something that, uh, it's like one of the most important parts of the book. Oh yeah. That's where books are made. The best books, it's like songs in the songwriting world. People say the best songs are not written, they're rewritten. Um, and like same with books, everyone's first draft, no matter who you ask, uh, no matter how successful they are, they'll all tell you their first draft probably sucked. Yeah. Um, Cause you're coming from horrible. your head. Yeah. And you don't really know exactly what you're saying yet until you get to the end, you kind of have it all together. And, uh, but anyways, the editing or vision side is, um, it's, it's hard and it's uh, stressful, but it's definitely where the true essence of the book comes through. Sure. Um, would y'all, would y'all try to self publish or find? Uh, we did, we have done that before. And so I don't know, you know, I, I think if we put something together for born to succeed, we might try to, to go out and try to gain a publisher versus self publishing. Cause that's what we've done with the other books that we've been involved with. And we, we've thought about self publishing, but I would like to get it out there with a the major publisher. Well, it's, it's really smart of you to have taken the route that you you have like with the podcast and everything um non-fiction books are typically you're pitching that book before it's written and you find an agent who supports the concept and the writer and all of that which and that's nice because if you can secure the agent then you've got someone there like in your corner in the industry that's kind of walking you through that process Right. They're usually also, you know, literary agents so the editors. But anyways, you should definitely give traditional a shot. You know, it's um, at least it never hurts. And then, you know, maybe a year down the road or something, if there's no luck, you consider self-publishing. Right. Right. And that's what I was thinking, because, like I said, we weren't going to rush this anyway. So that's what I was thinking is that this time we might try to really go that direct route of, you know, trying to run it to a publisher. And then, like you said, if that didn't work, then we could always self-publish it ourselves. But. 
I don't think that's going to be our first option. We want to try to get it out there through a bigger publishing company so we can really just reach more uh, more people and impact create more lives. value. Yeah, because yeah, that's our whole thing is to impact lives. And, and we want to impact a billion people. So how can we impact a billion people through podcasting, through YouTube videos, through Facebook, through writing books? So we need to be able to get a little bit of exposure to be able to make that happen. So I know yeah. with self-publishing – all, none of our books have really sold major numbers and, and it's obvious why because they're not with a big comp, you know a big publishing company yeah you got to give up some of your rights of course but if you're thinking of the this if you're driven by the success of what you just spent however long creating yeah. right and you want it to be successful then you know traditional uh, I think is just the way to go yeah and you know, you got a whole team that's there to support you and and kind of chase the dream with you, which is pretty cool. Awesome. Yeah, that's great. Awesome. So if you could invite any rider to dinner with all expenses paid, who would it be and where would you take them? Um, I would take Ruth Rindell um, to Oma's Jiffy Burger. Oma's <laughs> and Jiffy. Y'all know Oma's. Surely, you know Oma's. Um, then Watsahatchee, downtown Watsahatchee, and it's a little greasy burger joint that you have to get two burgers or you'll still be hungry, but uh -huh. they've got this decrepit grill that's just perfect and, uh, seasoned, right? Oh yeah. It's so good. So good. And it, of course it's just got a, a whole mood to it because it's downtown Watsahatchee and it's been there for like, you know, 60, 70 years or something, probably. Yeah. Um, I, there used to be a place in uh, Rockwall. I mean, it may still be there, which is a small town east of Dallas. And um, they would open and they would sell burgers till they ran out. And that was it. Whether it was 11 o'clock, 1130, 12 o'clock. I mean, you had to get there early just to get a burger. And that's kind of what uh, it sounds like your place is like. Oh, yeah. It's, it's wonderful. And Ruth Wendell is probably my favorite writer. Um ever she passed away in 2015 but she's kind of the second generation agatha christie almost wow. um but she's got some of the best writing um that i've ever ever read and some of the most unique concepts and i like talking about those things and yeah. she's good at leaving her books open-ended too like she might actually drop a bomb on the very last page of the book and you're left kind of flying through the air and I, like those those books I love because it forces people to talk about it or think about it when right. they're done and uh, she does that very very well so I kind of just want to I would just like have a like a moment where I'm just like question after question, after question yeah, like, pick her brain. and then this yeah and then I was like and then this happened here so like was she feeling this right like, right angry when this happened or like <laughs> why did like Eunice never learned to read like on her own and like all these things that <laughs> she probably she probably knows all the answers to but only the writer would ever know and they probably don't have any you know tell in the book it's just yeah. those are the things that I think about when I'm reading that's fun. so it'd be fun to you know throw them out there yeah well definitely man it's been great talking with you um before we get off here in just a few minutes uh to get another side of you what are you doing when you're not writing and editing and you know working what what else do you do what else is life about for you um 
I still wake up pretty early and get going. Uh, spend a lot more time in the morning reading than I would normally while I'm in the middle of writing. But outside of all of those things, I love to run. I'm a big runner. I've always been. So I do several miles a day and uh, like going to the gym. Uh, that's This is a new, I would say in the past few years that the routine that of like that life and um, you know, working, working out and, and running all combined and taking it pretty seriously is a, is a recent addition, maybe two or three years, but, um, I love it a lot. It makes me happy, you know, yeah. all the endorphins of course, but it's where I think I'll, I do all my brainstorming while I'm running. I don't really listen to music, uh, when I do either of those things, which is strange yeah. to people. Uh, a lot of times I listen to podcasts or books, right. um, but I love it. I like, I like moving and I play a lot of spike ball um with with the guys up here so my best friends we play all the time and i am highly competitive so if anyone out there wants to play spike ball and they're in nashville let's go is that, um, is that like a stronger volleyball or what i've never heard of spike ball um so it it's baseball similar or? no it's similar concept to volleyball except the net is on the ground you know those okay. uh small like miniature workout trampolines that are kind of oh. old school uh -huh. right picture that but it's it's a net there and uh you got two versus two and you hit the ball into the net and okay. you try to you know get it just like the other side you want the other side to not be able to, to return it um i think was it dude perfect these guys up in frisco or something they created that okay um forever huh. ago and it's kind of a phenomenon interesting that's great Wow. Well, that's good, man. Well, it definitely sounds out like you're living the the spiritual, mental, and physical life. And, you know, Elisa and I are life coaches, and that's something we just absolutely preach to people every day that remember to be anything successful in life, you have to be passionate about it, what you said earlier, but you also have to have a spiritual, mental, and physical life. And just listen at you talking from the second you get up and you're you're praying and you're reading and then your mental side kicks in and then your physical side. So just listening to you talk for, you know, 45 minutes that we spent with you, I can really tell that you're living a spiritual, mental and physical life. And that is definitely the life that we truly, you know, tell everybody that, that that's what you've got to have. You can't just have a one sided life because if they're just over there on the mental side, plugging away every day, you're not going to be fully fulfilled. If you're not with the spirituality, you're not going to be fully fulfilled. If you're not, getting the physicality you're not going to be fulfilled so you know it sounds like you're yeah. doing it's doing what's right and obviously you sound like a happy young man and, and that's great brother sounds like you got a great future ahead of you so Thank before you. we get off here in just a second um we're going to wrap it up but i'm going to let you just have this last just second of uh, time with our listeners and say anything that's on your heart anything you want them to know about you obviously you're going to have a book coming out soon you know it's in the to be determined stage, but you're wrapping it up. It's called Doppelganger, so they already know that's coming down the line. Um, what what else do you want to leave them with today, as far as you know, wisdom or nuggets or things that are coming out for you or anything like that, man? It's just platforms yours. Sure, um, I guess more of the the nugget thing that, that you mentioned there, but uh, going back to the passion. Um, I sound, I'm a very happy person right now, but I did spend many years where I was not very happy at all. And I just kind of lived what I felt like was a very sad life. Um, even though I'm writing music, you know, living a life that would appear very 
boisterous to like uh, fulfilling. Um, I did not feel that way. But what I will say is when it comes to passion, right, a lot of people um, are confused about their calling in life, right? Like, what's my calling? Especially if you're more spiritual, right? You're always trying to figure out like, what's, what does God design me to do, right? What is my calling in life? Yeah. And I, I never, uh, it's one of those things that I feel like you won't know until you know, but uh, I just, I encourage people to find the one thing in their life that gets them out of bed at 4 a.m. or keeps them awake until 4 a.m. because all they can think about is, is doing that. Um, and like you said before, doing it without being paid, spent two years in my house writing a book that I didn't even know if anyone in the world would ever read and I got paid nothing for it, but I had never been more happy in my entire life. Right. Um, because I, I have a passion for it and I do feel like that is where I'm called on whatever um, platform or a level. Um, but that's, I think that's where you, you find true fulfillment is when you're exercising that, that skill that you've been given, that talent, you know, um, exercise it um, and just kind of be consumed with it and do it for others, you know, do it, do it for others and you'll be good. And, and I think it's great, Trevor, when you talk about, you know, that maybe not every day was happy or there were years or times that you, you were maybe trying to find yourself or happiness or fulfillment. And that the most important thing is that you don't lose hope, right? Mm -hmm. So many people lose hope and then they lose like their direction or where they're going and stuff and they stop looking. But having that spiritual time in the morning, we have a book, uh, Two Chairs, that um, by Bob Bodine, which got us in the passion for starting our day with God. And, um, you know, he says, you know, 10 minutes a day, but it's however long and whatever time that that you need to spend with him, that he's talking to you and you talk to him and then you just sit and listen for him to talk to you and give you yeah. direction for the day. Of course. That's great. That's, that is on point right there. Yeah. If you've never heard of the book, two chairs by Bob Bodine, it's a great book. It's a book that he actually wrote about his mother. Uh, Bob was from Chicago, Illinois. And when he was 18 years old, he got a scholarship to SMU. And so nice. he came on down to Dallas at 18 and, and he was kind of scared. He'd never been out of Chicago. And, and his mom said, Bobby, just remember, you know, the Lord's in your life. And she said, you know, I want to share something that I've done my whole life, Bob. And I want you to start doing when you get down there to that campus. And I want you to pull up a chair for you and a, a chair for God. And I want you to spend 10 minutes and I want you to talk for one and let him talk for five. And then you talk for one and he talks for five or you talk for two, but the rule is it's five to one. You talk for one, he gets five. And you just listen, Bobby. And she said, Bob said at first, you know, he didn't really hear anything. But then all of a sudden he started hearing God talking to him. And, you know, and now he's in his 60s. And he's like, I sit down in the chair and like, boom, light switch flips on. He's like, so Bob, let me tell you what's going on. What's going to happen today? You're going to have a phone call at 11 o'clock a.m. It's going to be <laughs> special, man. Uh He's like, I'm giving a speech walking around. He's like, you need to say right now, I don't care if you're in this crowd and you're divorced, if you're bankrupt or whatever, but I'm talking to you right now. And he said, people will come up after my speech and go, man, did you, you were like looking at me when you said that. Did you know I was going through a divorce? Did, did you know I'm going through bankruptcy? Bob's like, nope. God just told me that, man. I don't know. And so I'm like, that it's amazing. But basically it's a book called Two Chairs. And it's an amazing book. And that's how we start our day. We start off with reading the Bible and we start off with affirmations as well. 
but it's a great thing to sit there and just go, okay, I'm going to give you this first part of my day and just, I'm going to listen. What, what do you have for me? What are the, what's the wisdom for you? So, um, but man, nice. it's great to have you on Trevor. I look forward to working with you in the future because I guarantee you, uh, we definitely are going to be writing some more books. So we look forward to working with you and getting some of your editing expertise. <laughs> uh, Miss Elisa, oh. I'll let you wrap it up after Mr. Trevor wrapped up. So what do you have to wrap up with here? I'm just excited. Um, it's it's nice talking to you. Um, like I said, I knew your mom in the 80s. I saw you when you were a little toddler. And so it's <laughs> been a long time. I knew you went off to Nashville to, to um, you know, kind of get into the music industry mm -hmm. and so now that you're writing it i just uh, i'm excited i can't wait to to um read your book doppelganger and oh, see what i can't wait for you to read it yeah there i can't wait go. to read it hey hey there you go good <laughs> good well then we'll wrap it up guys really quickly thanks for all that are listening to us today uh thanks to mr trevor brooks for being on the show with us i can't wait to see his book doppelganger and the Many, many other books that are going to come behind that. I know there's going to be a string of books behind that. Uh, but I just want to say to all those that are listening, thank you for your time. No matter where you're coming from today, uh, whether you're in Ireland or Australia or England or New Jersey or New York, and you're listening to this podcast, remember the name of this podcast is called Born to Succeed. Why? Because everyone is born to succeed. And we want you to know that. We talk about that on the podcast We've had our ups and downs in life. Life is not an easy road. We all have times that we struggle and we just want to give up. And we know that if we just keep on and we just keep that perseverance, we are born on purpose for a purpose and with a purpose. And we're born to succeed. Your best is yet to come. So remember, guys, you can have everything you want in life if you just help enough others get what they want and need. And remember the golden rule. Treat others as you want to be treated. For that's truly the way we should be. And until next time, guys, have a blessed day. Bye-bye. We want to thank everyone so much for taking the time to listen to the Born to Succeed podcast with Michael and Elisa Merritt. We know that you have a very busy schedule, and we appreciate you taking time out of your day to spend time with us. You can find us at Merit Coaching Group on YouTube, Facebook. You can email us at MeritCoachingGroup at gmail.com. We want to remind you that you can have everything you want in life if you just help enough others get what they want and need. Remember to follow the golden rule. You can have everything you want. Yeah, but you got to do what? Treat others as you want to be treated. So until next time, have a very blessed day from Michael and Elisa Merritt.